the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to The Advocate with your host, Nick Phillips. And now, here's your host, Nick Phillips. Good evening, Cleveland. Nick Phillips with you with another edition of The Advocate. Uh, Tonight in the next uh, two segments, we're going to be talking to Nan Baker from the Calgary County Council, getting an update on what's going on at the county level. Nan, thank you for joining us, as always. You're welcome. It's always a pleasure to be here and look forward to our talk today. Oh, I know. I tell you, time is flying by so quickly. Uh, we're in October, and uh, we we haven't talked since July. The time has flown by. But uh, life goes on, the government goes on, and especially the county government. So uh, in any event, hey, how about uh, starting off with a quick update on how is Cuyahoga County doing with the COVID? You know, I, I think I have good good news to report. Um, Cuyahoga County has uh, really hit the 60% mark for all of Cuyahoga County getting the vaccine. So that is good. It's, you know, very slow right now in, in encouraging those that have been perhaps reluctant to get vaccinated. But we are reaching and almost there to the 60% uh, point of uh, vaccination. So that, of course, helps us overall. Uh, the county executive has also initiated a $100 incentive for those in the county as an employee. Uh, remarkably, only 43% of our county workers have been vaccinated. So I hope that this incentive gives them the extra um, push that's needed to um, consider being vaccinated. So that are, are you all good news. Yes. Yeah, I was wondering, are you hearing any reason why the reluctance continues? No, I haven't. Um, I asked that question, and it really wasn't uh, clearly answered, only that that is the percentage uh, and that they're going to do all they can to encourage them. It was surprising to me because we have our, you know, our county health director, uh, Director Allen, has really been relentless in encouraging vaccines and certainly has had his share of press conferences with uh, County Executive Budish and encouraging it. So on the county level, I was surprised. So I'm I'm really hoping that in the next time we talk to them, I think believe at the end of the time period, I believe it's either the end of this month or middle of next month uh, for them to make that decision and get mm-hmm. vaccinated. So we'll, I'll keep you posted. I hope that it's... Yeah, keep us posted. Um, I know I'm talking to some other guests about COVID. We talk about... Uh, the reluctance being propelled by fear. And I was wondering, have you heard of anything uh, as far as what kind of uh, reactions some people are having and how prevalent reactions are? Anything along those lines that maybe we can dispel if possible? Right. Well, like I said, we have firsthand our county director, um, health director that's right there and answering any questions that that come up. And we have a hotline that is available for anyone who wants to call in and find out more about it. Uh, you know, it could be just uh, a little complacency, uh, 
could be the younger people don't feel the need to be vaccinated. Um, you know, there might be a variety. It could be some fear involved of, you know, long-lasting effects. Uh, I think it's a really a mixture of things when it gets down to, you know, trying to figure out the different reasons why people aren't uh, moving forward and getting vaccinated. But, you know, whether this, since this is something that the executive, through his understanding of the employees that are there under his uh, direction, this is what he feels uh, is needed in order to uh, encourage them to take the vaccine. So. We'll see. There is a county mandate right now of any county building, you must wear a mask, vaccinated or not. That could also be a little bit of a disincentive. If you're vaccinated and still have to wear a mask, there might be some questions there as to, you know, why should I do that then? <laughs> so, Well, while talking to some people uh, earlier today, it seems like uh, the, the concept of lamenting over the COVID's persistence and uh, until, like other public health programs, vaccinations do a cut down on the, the spread of COVID. Without that, it's uh, going to be with us. And But uh, it, it seems to be improving. And how, how high on the list of uh, problems do we have COVID now? Because we have other things going on in the county, don't we? Yeah, I mean, we're, you know, I think we've got a handle on understanding the virus. We have a 60% vaccination rate in the county. We have incentives within the county to consider getting vaccinated for those that are still hesitant. So I think we're on a program there that we're marching forward with good results. I mean, the, the hospitalizations are down. The deaths in the last few weeks have been zero in Cuyahoga County. Um, so we see progress. And I think the variant is something where we're looking at it um, not being as contagious as it once was, especially because of the, the vaccine. And we have natural immunity that is also playing a role in this. So I'm, I'm encouraged. So the, the high intense, you know, let's talk about this every day has not uh, been there as it was perhaps last year, beginning of this year, even this uh, early summer. So that's all good news. You know, we've moved but, on to um, other issues that are there. Um, as you mentioned, uh, we are in negotiations right now with the Cleveland Indians. They uh, would like us to support their facility. Uh, the total that is being asked is 400 and let's see here, 438 million. So it's a pretty big ask. Uh, some of that the Indians are putting forward. Some of it, uh, a good part of it, they're asking the county to put forward. Uh, the city of Cleveland has uh, engaged in a um, multi-million dollar uh, ask. And the state of Ohio, Governor DeWine, has also pledged $50 million from the state um, if we can get this whole package put together. So it's been pretty high-level dialogue. We had our first public meeting last week. We have another one on Tuesday and a third before we decide uh, how we're going to put this package together. Are, are we officially now referring to the Cleveland Major League Baseball team as the Guardians? We are. I have to change. Yes, that's true. The Indian season <laughs> is over. Officially. <laughs> I have to do that. And they are talking about changing the scoreboard uh, to the Guardians. So yes, I it's just going to be a old habit to break. 
Well, now, and I'm I'm not really big on governmental numbers, but 438 million sounds like a lot. Is that all going into the stadium? And if so, what? How will we see that money show up? Well, the the uh, county is obligating 138 million, so that's their portion, and it is going into upgrading the stadium itself. Um, some of the seating arrangements, um, areas where people gather, concessions. Uh, I think people will see a significant difference when they walk into uh, the ballpark. And then also there is the um, lower level uh, type of work, the workout rooms, the kitchen, uh, things that directly affect the players. And that hasn't been updated since 1994 which, honestly, I took a tour of the um, Indians ballpark, and it looked like you were going into a time warp. I was shocked to see that we hadn't really? got anything yeah, to those facilities for all that time. And I, you know, I scratched my head a little bit about that, but that is what it is. And they're not afraid to tell you, and they show pictures of just how antiquated and, and uh, the room of what's there to service uh, these players, whether it's conditioning or whether it's lunchroom or sh- uh, showers or locker rooms, all of it is very um, in need of reform. So, uh, so when you when you go through as an average person, I mean average being a normal yeah. person who's not in the profession of Major League Baseball, to you, you can actually see the needs for this upgrade. You can. I mean, in the in the places where people do see uh, the, I don't know if you're how familiar you are with with uh, with the actual ballpark, but the place where they have it kind of glass enclosed, and then they have areas where people can sit and watch the game, and, but they're actually inside looking through the yeah, window, like in a restaurant or something. Right, that's all going to be taken out. It was a concept that didn't work, and they would rather have uh, open areas and open seating and encourage people with any ticket price to come and enjoy those areas of the ball field. Um, The other standing room only concept, that didn't work either in some of the smaller, if you remember, type of boxes that are up there that you can actually stand in and look at the game. That was a concept that didn't work, and they want to bring that up to date. Um, So, and the concessions and just overall maintenance of the facility uh, will all be having to need uh, repair and maintenance. The, um, you know, some of the money that is being taken from is the syntax, if you remember we passed that years ago. That's just not enough money. It's $2.5 million a year that the ball field gets, and uh, we have to add at least another $5 million to that each year. Well, that's, well, that's let's, take a, let's take a quick break here. We're talking to Nan Baker from the Cuyahoga County Council, and we're talking about the uh, upgrade of the Cleveland Guardians. I was going to say Cleveland Indians, the Cleveland Guardians <laughs> Stadium. Yeah. We're, we're going to be back after these words. You're listening to Nick Phillips here on WHA, The Advocate. We'll be right back.
Welcome back, Cleveland. Nick Phillips with you with another segment of The Advocate. We're talking to Nan Baker, council person on the Cuyahoga County Council. We're talking about the Cleveland Major League Baseball Stadium for the Cleveland Guardian. Nan, thank you for joining us and sort of giving us some insight as to um, what we can see next next year. By the way, with all of the improvements, are we, are we talking about getting them ready for next season or is it going to take a couple of years or what are they proposing? It's an ongoing process. So they'll take the most obvious first so that they can enjoy the field. But I think it's a two- to three-year um, process. And remember, in exchange for investing in this ball field, uh, we are going to get a 15-year signed lease. So that is the incentive for all of us to uh, at least consider uh, investing in this field in order to keep the Indians here or the Guardians here in Cleveland, and for It'll take a while. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that's, how about the city of, city of Cleveland putting some money into this? Yes, Cleveland is putting in uh, about 117 million. Uh, the state is putting in 30 million. The county's putting in 138 million, and then the Indians or Guardians. Uh, organization itself is putting in 153 million. So that um, that total is what you where you would get the 438 total million. 285 of that is public dollars. So get now, when, when we have a major league team in in town, uh, whether it's baseball or football or whatever, uh, that. That brings it's like an economic magnet to the to that region to the city. Uh, with the uh, Cleveland baseball team here at the Guardians, I, I'm, I still want to say Indians. The Guardians. Uh, how how much money will that actually bring in per year? If we didn't have that baseball major league baseball going on here, how much would uh, the Cle- Cleveland area lose? Have they well, talked about that- those kinds of numbers? Well, we're just getting into it. We just had our first public meeting um, this past Thursday. We have another public meeting uh, before our council meeting on Tuesday at 2 o'clock. Anyone can come down to the uh, county administration building, room uh, floor four, and listen to um, you know all of the conversation about it. Uh, we did hear from the different organizations, business organizations, even different businesses, saying how much uh, they would really hope that we uh, consider contributing to this facility because of the economic impact that it does bring. Uh, and, and anyone who drives downtown and sees what goes on on any of the ball game days, it is uh, unbelievable the amount of people that come and visit our our uh, our fine city and and stay and eat and you know enjoy the surroundings. So I don't think that that's too much of a an area where we have to convince. It's uh, whether we can afford it, weighing the uh, different uh, you know the balance of of what can we afford and what would we lose if we didn't. Uh, so that that is all ongoing. We've had one meeting. We have another coming up, as I said, on Tuesday at 2 o'clock. If you miss that meeting, everything is taped. So you can go to either YouTube or the county website and see all the conversation that happened um, right after the meeting ends. 
Well, it's good that that information is available in the, uh, the meetings to actually get into the detail and hear what's going on is, is good. But sort of uh, let me turn uh, to another topic. We talked last time about the, uh, the initiative for a new county jail and a new county courthouse, uh, replacing the Justice Center. Uh, since we talked in July, anything happened between July and now? Uh, yes, um, conversations have uh, certainly um, been ongoing and more intense. Uh, there doesn't seem to be uh, too much pushback that a new county jail is needed. Uh, the The differences are more of how large should that county jail be and how uh, much would that county jail cost and where the location would be. Uh, those are probably the primary issues that are before us. Trying to reduce the inmate population is all part of that, too. Unfortunately, that has increased, uh, which then increases the potential jail. Conversations of how we can reduce that inmate size, uh, whether it's um, diversion center, being more intent on that and, and getting more people the help they need rather than incarceration. Perhaps uh, the reduction of judges has been tossed around and perhaps we don't need as many judges that we have now and maybe the sharing of courtrooms instead of everyone having their own courtroom as it is now. Um, support staff for the judges could be in office buildings nearby instead of expanding a new courthouse larger than perhaps what we can afford. All of those different moving parts are all part of the conversation right now, and we've just really started the courthouse conversation. We haven't really settled on the jail yet, so it's, uh, it's a moving target. And that, too, is talked about publicly, and anyone can go on the uh, Cuyahoga County website and find those meetings and listen to the conversations that have been taking place. Is there a calendar that the county is looking at generally as far as when would they like to have a plan wrapped up and construction begin? Or do they have anything like that in, in planning? Yeah, well, you know, I, I I think it's too fluid right now to really say that they have that. We don't. We have locations in mind which are not disclosed yet. I've heard that there has been some... Um, Oh, I don't know, some, some differences of opinion on where those should be. So that's not settled. The size of the jail has not been settled, given the increase in, in uh, potential inmates. Um, and then the courthouse, of course, really should be talked about the same time. I don't know how you do one without the other, but uh, the jail has talked about going outside of Cleveland, the Cleveland city, nearby, but just uh, not in, in the city itself. But then the courtrooms want to remain here in Cleveland, so we would then be splitting where they're now together, um, staying in the building that they're in now. The, the Justice Center isn't probably a most likely end result. Uh, the police station, the Cleveland Police Station, has moved. The jail will be moving, and to keep the courtroom there is not uh, probably too feasible. So, are we are we looking at likely someday in the future the justice center to be torn down? Is that what we're looking at? Yes, yes. I think that uh, that's it's been you know tossed that it's a prime piece of property. The jail probably shouldn't have been built there to begin with, and uh, it would be better perhaps 
as an economic development piece to be torn down and sold. That, though, is way out there. <laughs> we have so much work to do uh, before we get there. That uh, uh, the nuts and bolts. Yeah. 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 So well, we'll be interested in more of that, more information on that coming up. Yes. I mean, they did some comparisons between Franklin County and Cuyahoga County, which are somewhat similar in size. Uh, and Franklin County has 17 judges compared to our 34. And but but you can't really go apples to apples there because they have magistrates that come in to handle some of the civil trials. Don't. So there's a lot of uh, a lot of details to really make sure that the decisions we make, in cooperation with our um, judicial partners, that we make making sure that uh, we are handling those that need that protection and those that need to be incarcerated um, be handled correctly. So it's um, it. I really can't say that we're that close to saying this is when we're going to start the. The, uh, we, we we have about a minute to go, and I, I know in the past we've had some problems with the jail that made it dangerous for some of the inmates. Uh, are we still in a dangerous situation pending the uh, the new jail project? Right. Well, I think that all eyes are on the jail, so that in itself makes it a safer environment. But with having the increase in inmates makes it, uh, again, uh, very difficult to manage. So, and also the uh, population of of hiring um, cons- um, correction officers and and support services that too makes it difficult to manage. But the new sheriff that's um, that's in charge of that jail and and those that are managing administratively that jail and Metro now has a very strong hand in the jail to oversee those uh, that are in medical need. All of that helps manage it. But having a population, I believe we're up to about 1,600, 1,700, makes it difficult when we want to try to get that population down to about 1,200 or 1,300. We're working in that direction. Well, uh, we're out of time, Nan Baker. Thank you for joining us, and we'll have to have you on sooner next time as time is marching on so quickly here. Thank you for joining us. You're welcome. It was a pleasure, and uh, anytime anyone wants to learn more, just go on the county website. Everything is recorded. Beautiful. Well, thank you so much, Nan. We're going to take a short break now. We'll be back after these words, so don't go away. You're listening to Nick Phillips here on WHK, The Advocate. We'll be right back. back Cleveland. Nick Phillips with you with another segment of The Advocate. In the next two segments, we're going to be talking about what's being done for our veterans here in the Northeast Ohio area. And uh, here to talk to us about a group called uh, Ride with Valor, I believe. It is, um, we have Wayne Maltz and Chris Zerowski. Am I pronouncing it right, Chris? Yes, yes, Chris Zerowski. Thank you. Oh, very good, very good. Well, uh, Wayne, tell us a bit about the group, uh, Ride with Valor. When did it start and what does it do? Well, Ride with Valor is kind of young. We've just been around about three years. Now, Ride with Valor was formed by Russell Scott Rhoda. He is the founder and CEO. 
No, we're a 501c3, and basically what we do, we help veterans. We're concerned with certain areas. One is homelessness, aging, and disabled veteran veterans, and we have some statistics on that. Aging in place, creating a safe and accessible home for our aging disabled veterans. Another area is Wings of Valor. That's transportation. That's getting these veterans to and from the VA or to other essential appointments. And our last concern would be Hearth and Home. It's reintegrating the veteran and their home so they don't have to move. And along with that goes the hud dash. VASH, V-A-S-H, and we'll explain that in a minute. Well, well, excellent. Now, how did you guys get involved in it personally? Are you veterans yourself or have a veterans connection? Yes. Both Chris and I and Scott are all veterans. I'm retired. Scott's retired. Chris is still hard at work. Well, I'll keep him going. Well, thank you for your service. Uh, with the veterans... How, how do you start a program like this? Where, where do you find the veterans, and how do you get to connect with veterans who need help? Well, I think how we started was we were looking at some statistics, and we want to help out. We want to do something, give something back to our country. And I'm looking at some statistics here that are alarming, and it's uh, overall the people that are over 60 years old. Yeah. There's 438,000 of those people. And you think they're growing? Sure they're growing because they're getting older. And then we looked at another statistics about homelessness. Across the board, nationally, there's about 40,000 people that are homeless, homeless veterans. And they need help. And a growing concern is the female veterans that are homeless. Now, when I started in the service a long time ago, one or 2% were female. But now about 20% and growing in the service are female. So it would make sense that many of those 40,000 are female. And, you know, they get stuck with the kids and all the rest of the problems. A lot of times the guy just goes off, leaves them. And so they're, they're with a family. And so some of those homeless people have families. And in our experience, we ran across just that kind of a person. And Chris can tell you about that. Chris? So, you know, I want to reflect back, too, on the question you first asked. How does one get started? You know, it's a perfect story of, Scott was a firefighter and ran into people all the time and found out that there were more veterans that were sitting by the wayside, unable to get the help or stuck in a position that forced them to be homeless and decided that something needed to be done. So he started by doing fundraisers and hence the name Ride with Valor. So we started raising money by doing rides. Uh, Then the program became so big and so well-known out in our local community that we were able to become a permanent fixture. 
and do programs like our Hearth and Home. And that's, you know, our pride and joy is, is Hearth and Home because that's the one that helps the veteran the most. We have a female veteran that just over a year ago we were able to put into a house and she had two teenage daughters and they were squatting in a vacant building by her daughter's schools. And we were able to get a home, take it down to the studs and rebuild it into a beautiful modern home and help them get to a position where they'll soon be able to purchase that home from us. You know, they're that, that, that is a, that is a great deal. A question for because I, I talked to Wayne about this earlier. Mm-hmm. Is uh, tell us about how you get a house, and where do you get okay. it from, and what other partners do you have in government who helps so, you do this, and then where do you get the money to rehab these places? So that's that's a good question. You know, the first house was a donation, and and Wayne could expand on that. The second one is some of these other ones we have worked through. We've gotten them from the land bank in Cleveland and our lending partners and people that we've worked with. You know, we've got, I'm a real estate agent, so some of the people that I work with day to day, you know, like Gold Star Mortgage, Black Tie Title, those people, my own team from EXP and the VFW. You know, Wayne's a big person in the American Legion, and he's been able to help uh, rally the troops there. You know, the Legion Riders have been a great support and VFW Ohio Charities. You know, there, there's a bunch more. And that biggest thing is the community gets together and helps support. We get a lot of individuals that own companies, and they come in and donate the materials and donate the time. A lot of them aren't even veterans that join us. You know, and they keep working hard for us. Home Depot is one of the biggest that helps support us through grants. Wayne, you want to expand a little more? Oh, yes. Yes, I would. You know, the the homelessness, uh, they've made great strides in trying to end it. Significant progress has been made in due part with rapid rehousing through the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs, Support Services, and Veterans Families. Now, we have an acronym for that. It's SSVF program in a permanent support housing through HUD Veteran Support Housing. That's HUD dash, there's a dash, and then it's V-A-S-H, another acronym. Now, what they do is they help a homeless veteran acquire an apartment or a house. But there's a problem with that. Many times, the place does not have appliances or furniture or somewhere to keep their food cold. And so that's where we come in. We get donations from all over. And I pick them up on our trailer, and we have another truck, and we get them to the veterans that need them. Sometimes we'll pick up a donation and take it directly over to a veteran on that same day and put it in their house. Now, that's hard to believe that HUD can put somebody into a house and not have a bed, furniture, microwave, stove, 
refrigerator, washer, dryer, and that's where we come in to take up the slack with Ride with Valor. Chris, do you want to say anything quite... more about that? Yeah, you know, yeah, it's go ahead. amazing, too. As, as you look at that VA program, there's a lot of people in the community that are starting to learn and work with us and putting veterans into their own investment properties with that program, the uh, HUD-VASH program. So, you know, if there's not a spot available through our program, we've come together with certain people. Uh, I myself have relayed some of the names and given them to some of the local investors out there in the west side of Cleveland and Lakewood, and they've been able to help veterans as well. You know, we'll go back to uh, Hearth and Home. You know, our second project here in Collinwood is coming to a close, and we're always proud of the veteran and the people that do the work. That's our key to our success. And that house in Collinwood is going to be our second biggest project. And we're putting an aged veteran who is disabled. He and his service dog are going to be moving in there in the next month or so. You know, we've been working real hard on that home. And it, it's something that's going to be amazing because that has even brought the community together in Collinwood with the uh, Slovenian house out there and the local uh, Everybody. I mean, it, it's amazing. Oh, let's, let's do this, Chris. Let's take a short break. We're, okay. uh, we're talking to uh, Wayne Maltz and Chris uh, Zorowski from Ride uh, with Valor for Veterans. We're going to take a short break. We'll be back after these words. You're listening to Nick Phillips here on WHK, The Advocate. Don't go away. Welcome back, Cleveland. Nick Phillips with you with our final segment of The Advocate for tonight. We're talking to Wayne Maltz and Chris Zorowski concerning Ride with Valor. Valor is a group that is promoting and helping veterans here in the Cleveland area. So thank you guys for joining us tonight. Uh, Wayne, how many people are really active in your, your organization? Um, dozens and growing all the time. People call Scott, they call me, they call Chris. And we really do have a lot of good people out there that want to help veterans. They call us up, what can we do? We have even had Boy Scout troops out there helping us paint. Now, that's funny because they get more paint on themselves than they do on the walls, and they all have a good time. And they go well, you, mentioned calling. You, you mentioned calling. What's a good phone number for them to call you guys? 216 216- Two eight zero five eight two four. Let me say that again. That's two one six two eight zero five eight two four, and that's ride with valor. You know, even so, well, excellent. You can, Go ahead, Chris. You can take a look on our website, and it's ridewithvalor dot org. And uh, that's that's great. I I see that on there now. Go ahead. Hey, Nick. I'd like to tell everybody how a veteran, a homeless veteran that has basically nothing in their credit shot, how do they get a home? How do do they end up with the home? Pardon me? No, go ahead. How do they end up with the home? Yes, how do they end up with the home? Well, Scott Rhoda 
has been working with other agencies, and they do vetting on these people, and we get recommendations. They get the recommendations, but Scott makes the final decision who goes in the home. Now, their credit shot. And so what Scott's done is he's taken an investment in these people. He gets them a credit card, sits them down, explains that bills have to be paid. They want to do good. Most most people do. They do want to do good. And so the veteran pays 50% of the appraised value of the home. Now, let me go over that. The home is dilapidated shape. We go in there and redo the whole thing. We stuff it full of furniture. Not only that, knives, forks, spoons, ottomans, towels, sheets, TV, whatever they can come up with. And then there's an appraisal done on the home. And over a period of years, after they build their credit up, then they can purchase this home to make it their own at 50% the appraised value. Uh, Chris, do you want to talk about crediting? Yeah, thanks. So, you know, it's always about team building and building the veterans up, and veterans stick together and help one another. So our program, you know, as Wayne said, sometimes they have a real difficult problem with credit. So we ensure that the veteran gets credit counseling and helps build that. As Wayne said, you know, Scott will help get a credit card or some kind of loan that helps build the credit of that individual. We also help them ensure that they're getting some kind of occupational therapy and stay employed. You know, it's not just where they get into the house and then, hey, you're on your own, good luck. It's we help rebuild them and get them restructured into civilian life. You know, get them used to making the payments, staying on time, building their credit, helping them and coaching them, making sure they stay at work, and getting the social services as well as any of the VA services that they need. We want to keep them successful. You know, we mm -hmm. want them to be able to purchase the home. That's well, the I, have a, I have a question. Yeah. Well, when you start when you start with a veteran. Uh, where does the money start from? Do they get VA money? Do they get money from uh, welfare? Where does the money come from? And then do you guys supplement that in, in any way? So sometimes we'll supplement the utilities, but most of the time the money comes from the, the VA, the HUD-VASH program. That's the rental program where they're provided a voucher, and that funds their rental income. Or I'm sorry, not the rental income, that – that is their rent money. So that goes... But you guys you guys would help with uh, filling out the forms and making sure it all works? Oh, yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. How, how, sure uh, how, how many veterans do you guys support and have you since you started? Oh, well, sometimes it's, it's hard to count because, you know, we're, we're talking about hearth and home and placing right. veterans into apartments, but we got another program that triples just that program and puts us over a 1,000 veterans because we've got aging in place too, Nick. Aging in place is where we help our veterans. You know, a lot come back and are disabled, and 
are either forced out of their home because of their disability or maybe too old to have that mobility within, well, Ride With Valor is able to come in and help adapt the home to their disability, whether it's putting a wheelchair ramp in, a stair chair, or just moving certain doorways so that it's more accessible for them. Uh, that, I think, is one of our, our greatest projects as well. You know, we helped a 40-year-old paralyzed veteran who, after surgery, just couldn't move around. So, you know, he was in a nursing home and away from his wife and kids. That was eight years that he wasn't at home. And Ride With Valor was able to get this guy back, this veteran, back in his house. That is what it means to help. Well, when we talk about, I saw a list here as Wings of Valor for Transportation. Mm-hmm. Um, how, do you pay for, like, uh, Ubers, or do you have people who are volunteer drivers, or how, how does that yeah. occur? Yes, we have a, a van, and it's fully ADA-equipped, and no, we don't get anything. It's all volunteer. I'd like to see that change. Uh, well, right well, now, well, the we key. have some good people that are volunteering. At a moment's notice, they come over here and pick up the van, take the the veteran to their necessary doctor or to the VA. If you're listening and you're a veteran or know a veteran, uh, do they need to qualify to uh, take advantage of your services or what what all is needed of them if they call? Go ahead, Chris. There is an application process. You know, it's just one to justify the need. And the second one is to make sure that they are a veteran. You know, at times there's people that uh, sign up for programs that they're not eligible for. So we want to make sure that we're we're saving the services and the funds for our veterans because that, that's our first priority. We also help the widows and some first responders, too, that need it. But, uh, you know, we have to have that background check to make sure everything is good. And, and Nick, before we leave, yes. I just need a minute to go over and thank some people. And by thanking these certain organizations, then you'll see it's not only us with Ride With Valor. There's a number of people out there that support us, and we need that support. So can you give me a, a minute or so by the end of this broadcast to list? Well, we're, almost, we're almost there, so you have you have one minute, Wayne. Go ahead. Okay. Who would you like First to thing I'd like to do, I'll talk quick, is, at, is thank Nick Phillips from Phillips & Millie, ah. a company, LPA, Middleburg Heights, and which people should know, Nick is an Air Force veteran with 31 years. Good. Whoa. Pete Rotesco, owner of Pete and Pete Containers and Boyas Excavating. Home Depot Foundation, Angelo Petiti, Petiti Garden Centers. In Time Trucking from Michigan, John Lanning. Schoenhohn Chevy, Randolph, Ohio. Guaranteed Rates, Strongsville. Angie's Great. Gold Star Mortgage, EXP Realty, Idea Lease, Foolhardy Construction. And again, thank you all out there, veterans and non-veterans that support Ride With Valor. You know, Nick, one extra special thank you to, to our families and our team. You know, we've got a team of fantastic people 
like Dale, Brandon, Jamie, Tyler, and Brandon again that help us and support this team. It's a fantastic organization, and we invite you to come help us and join us. Well, it sounds wonderful. Well, we're out of time for tonight, but Wayne and, and Chris, thank you so much for your work. And I'd like to mention that phone number again, 216-280-5824. Yes. 280-5824. So in any event, you guys, thank you so very much for joining us tonight, and, and good luck. You're doing a wonderful thing for our veterans. Thank you, Nick. Thank you much. And thank you for listening. We'll be back next week, same time, same station. So between now and then, have a great week. Be safe and healthy. Good night. And break. And I sat and watched the Zanzibar sunset. Sat and drank my fresh mint tea. With nothing to do until morning. And only my mind. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.